Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, listeners. Before we start the episode, I just want to remind you about Luke's English Podcast Premium. This is my companion service to episodes of Luke's English Podcast. In the premium episodes, I teach you target language to build your vocab, improve your grammar, and develop your pronunciation. To get started, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. So hello, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're doing fine. On this particular day, this episode features a conversation recorded a few weeks ago now with a comedian and writer from the UK about various things, as you'll see. Your task is to follow along and see what you can pick up and what bits of language learning wisdom you can glean from this conversation. I don't really know James that well. That's James Harris, the uh, guest in this episode. I don't really know James that well. I've only met him once, in fact. He's a comedian and a writer. He speaks several languages and his Twitter feed is good value. He tweets about politics, learning languages, the issues of the day, comedy and various other things. We share a mutual friend, that's Darmanda Singh from Birmingham, who I used to be in a band with and who is now a stand-up comedian in Berlin. The time that I met James was in Berlin when I was there on holiday and I did some stand-up on the same show as him. So why have I invited him on the podcast? Well, it's mainly because of Twitter, actually, these days. As I said, his Twitter feed is interesting. He takes a sort of moderate and balanced view of things, and his interests are pretty wide-ranging, including the fact that he's very international. He's married to a Chinese girl. He's lived abroad. He used to work as a tour guide in several countries. He used to be an English teacher like me. He speaks very good German and French. He's working on his Chinese. He works as a translator, and he's generally an articulate and interesting guy, so I thought that he could just be worth talking to on the podcast. The language learning thing is obviously very appropriate, and I'm always interested in finding out as much as possible about how someone has learnt a second language to a very decent level in adulthood, and that is something that we talk about for at least 50% of this conversation. The first half of our chat is basically me getting to know James properly, talking about his work, his studies, his experiences of going to Oxford University, why he chose to move to Germany, being married to a Chinese girl. And then we get onto the details of how he learnt German, mainly, but also French, and now how he's working on his Chinese. So no need to say much more, except that I hope you managed to follow the conversation clearly all the way through. Let me know how it was for you, and I will speak to you again on the other side of this conversation, probably with some background music going over the top. But uh, let's now talk to James Harris, and here we go. I'm going to press record so that we can get started. Um, so, hello, James. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I've had my coffee for the day. That's all finished now. So the highlight of the day is over, which is drinking <laughs> drinking a whole pot of coffee. But, uh, but you know, there's still things to look forward to, like, uh, I don't know, sleeping. <laughs> that's That's coming up in about nine hours so excited about that a whole pot of coffee is that the normal amount per day uh yeah i drink a, i work uh very productively uh in the mornings and i've i've now come to the conclusion that i am just always going to get the best the best stuff done in the morning so i i get up a bit earlier and i crack on with the various things i'm writing or trying to get published or trying to pitch to people all this writing stuff which i'm doing a lot of at the moment and then by by about 1:30 i think it's uh, it's time to transition to a different mode eating and reading and in this case talking to you which is also something i'm doing today and then sleeping later but you're actually able to sleep after all that coffee 
Well, I've read that I think it stays in your system for 12 hours. So as long as I'm consuming the last cup of coffee about 11.30 in the morning, uh, then I'm probably good to get to sleep. My wife, um, who works until relatively late, is uh, a much earlier sleeper than I am. I'm, I'm a night owl, mm. uh, effectively. And uh, I'm usually not ready to go to sleep until... The natural rhythm would be about one thirty in the morning. But um, in current circumstances, with my wife going to an office job and me recently having been made redundant, uh, I think that as a gesture of goodwill to her, I should go to sleep earlier. So I'm getting up early, consuming huge amounts of coffee, but also going to, going to sleep earlier, which is I find surprisingly easy to get to sleep at about about 11.30 is her normal time to, to turn in. So actually, where are you at the moment? Not specifically, but just, you know, you don't have to give us your address, but whereabouts? Yeah, I thought I would, I would give your listeners <laughs> uh, my address because I would be intrigued to see what happened then. Uh, if anyone was very committed to learning English, uh, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would take that as a compliment if they travelled to see me on the strength of this episode but i live in south east london and i have been back in the uk because we met when i was living abroad about six years i've been living in london now uh, and i'm originally from nottingham which is in the midlands uh, which is also how i know demanda who is a friend of yours oh yeah yeah dar who's never been on this podcast but i must get him on sometime um you know dar from nottingham no, I know Dar from Berlin, uh, which is where I used to live and uh, where I used to perform a lot of comedy, which is where I saw you uh, performing comedy as well. Uh, I don't do that much stand-up these days, but I have the perfect excuse that the entire live comedy scene has been shut down uh, due to a global pandemic. But given that now you can, if you want, perform stand-up comedy in your own living room, uh, and I still can't be bothered. Uh, I I think that that might mean my commitment to stand-up comedy has waned a little. Uh, but when we met, I was a very uh, busy stand-up, doing lots and lots of gigs and going all around Europe. Um, I think you live in France, don't you? I do, yeah. I live in Paris. Yeah. Um, I never made it to Paris uh, to do to do stand-up, which I would have loved to do, because I do, I do speak French. And uh, I, I have a couple of gags, I think... Uh, which I'd written about. I can't remember them quite off the top of my head, but I, I had a couple of gags which had been written, which which would have worked very well knowing French and English. But yeah, maybe maybe uh, en futur, as they say. Huh? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's going to start up again. We'll see. Maybe uh, the comedy clubs will open again and the stand-up scene will be back. Uh, it'll be rife with coronavirus and jokes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i mean i suppose every i suppose everyone i've I've written two jokes which i think are good about coronavirus um can, can i share them with you yes please listeners? please do yeah okay two two jokes uh, and jokes i appreciate are always quite difficult to get in a in a in a second language because there's always like a pause isn't there and you're like oh right yeah that's funny <laughs> um but but uh, for some if people do want to go um I said, I wrote, um, I I was really sad that the London Marathon was cancelled due to coronavirus, but I'm sure things will be okay in the long run. (laughs) Um, But the better joke I had was, I I feel really happy to be living in London during the coronavirus because perhaps no other city has such a wide range of galleries, restaurants and museums closed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the sheer opportunities to not see art uh, exactly some of the finest art in the world is unavailable to us <laughs> at, at the moment in the, uh, it's the same for you in paris obviously i mean the places you have not been able to go are are really quite wonderful yeah the number of yeah great bits of art that we can't see is is brilliant not many cities can say that I mean, you cannot you cannot see the Mona Lisa and uh, the Venus de Milo on the same day. That's so. right. <laughs> um, so, all right. So we met each other doing comedy. I went to Berlin for a weekend, and my mate Dar, who is an old friend of mine, 
um, got me a gig, got me a couple of gigs. One was at the Fish Bowl, it was called, and uh, you were performing there. So that's how we know each other. But I also just follow you on Twitter, and you tweet about all sorts of different things. Um, you just mentioned, so you're you're, you're based in London, um, and so you're a writer at the moment. That's what you're doing these days. Then what what kind of stuff are you writing? Um, well, I've just written a screenplay with a friend, uh, and I've also just finished which is probably quite interesting, translating a play, mm. uh, a German play, actually, which is a comedy um, uh, written quite a, quite a long time ago, but I've done a kind of modern version. And then I'm writing another script, which is, which is um, a play. I mean, none of this is like in any kind of state of production or being staged or being written because anyone's asked me to do it. Uh, I'm just doing it because I think the same as many freelance people had in 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 uh france uh, i've been given a grant a self-employment grant by the government which i have decided is in fact a playwriting bursary <laughs> i've decided i've just decided to describe it as my government playwriting bursary and uh, given that i've received this large sum of money i thought well i may as well you know try and get some of these scripts done um i did i did recently write and perform a, a one-man show Solo show is what we'd probably call it a bit more in British English. Mm. And I performed that around the country last year. Uh, but that show was actually a bit of a kind of farewell to, to doing live comedy. Uh, and these days I do concentrate quite a lot on um, script writing. Uh, quite, quite involved in translation of a script writing. And my spouse, who is Chinese, who I've mentioned, we actually collaborated on a translation recently of a Chinese play. Uh, and we won a competition with the translation, which was very nice. Uh, and we were given a sort of stage reading of the of the play, which was a kind of Chinese fairy tale. Wow! So yeah, I'm I'm writing I'm writing a lot um, at, at the moment. Uh, but you know, like everyone, um, well, like many people, my income has been quite affected by all this. And although it's good um, for the for the long for, for the short term with these grants and things, over the long term, you know, I'm going to have to find a another way to to earn my living because my main source of income over the last well, decade really has been uh, as a tour guide taking people around europe france germany austria switzerland all over the place uh but that's just not happening anymore because nobody is traveling uh in a way i'm quite glad because uh, i got quite sick of being a tour guide over the last couple of years uh so now i have to get out of it uh, i have no choice what's wrong with being a tour guide Oh, there's nothing wrong with being a tour guide. It's just completely exhausting. I mean, it's it's a really, I mean, I'm talking, I was taking busloads of, you know, 50, 60 people around Europe and organizing their accommodation and food and, uh, you know, trying to keep them entertained. It's a very, very good job for a comedian. If anybody's got a kind of background in performing and is not, uh, and needs something extra to, to, to pay the bills, it's, it's a great job for that. But unfortunately, the the, the industry which I was working in with um, Canadians and Americans just has has ceased to exist, and I'm not sure it will go back ever to being the size as it was before. Uh, but that's um, that's okay. Um, I had taken a job just before all this started working for a tourism company full time, uh, which was more in the logistical side of it. Uh, but I was made redundant at the start of April. Uh, but I did uh, I did manage to get some some decent severance pay from them as well so that has managed to keep me tiding over and i've just had this big burst of creativity getting all these scripts and screenplays done wow uh, beyond that who knows va savoir i know i should be using english but i just love that <laughs> french phrase <laughs> um all right lots of things lots of things so the scripts that you're working on work as a tour guide which you said is like really great if you're a comedian what's the what's the connection between being a comedian and being a tour guide well, it's about having to fill time with being funny, mm -hmm. I think. So what really would help you is your crowd work or your interaction with crowds. And if you can, if you can kind of keep an audience going, uh, particularly if you're an MC, you know, or host, mm. then, uh, then a sort of long journey where you have to kind of dip in and out of people, um, you know, keeping them entertained and keeping them from from being bored comedy background is great and you have to realize that 
for for tour guides to do the kind of cross city and cross country stuff uh, a lot of the time you're not actually seeing anything which is worth seeing mm. uh, there's there's very little you can say about the kind of french motorway beyond a certain point like mm. oh look it's another large stretch of concrete here uh and and you know the german autobahn i mean they're not i mean that they, they do they do what they're supposed to do but the the only fact i can really say about the autobahn is that they put the barriers up to muffle the sound on the side of the road um but once you've said that you've still got another you know seven hours to drive or whatever so if you can if you can kind of talk to people and keep them engaged and know a bit about history but also have the kind of personal connection uh then then it can fill up those long uh coach journeys and it's really good to be able to improvise because for tour guides things go wrong uh you know people get lost people lose their property uh people don't like the food uh people people sadly get stolen from so you you need to be able to respond to people in situations which are quite uh emerging uh, yeah it's a, it's a it's a great job but it's sort of like being in the army sort of like entertain sort of like a hospital sort of entertainment army yeah there's, a, there's only so there's only so long you can kind of do in it you need you need to come back from your tour of duty um at some point right? yes i see okay um so wow you writing your own screenplay um but i what, wrote that with a friend yeah. actually so the screenplay is a collaboration okay and and translating one from german so yep. your German must be very good then. Yeah, my German's tip top. Uh and I lived in Germany for nearly ten years. Let's talk about yeah. your languages then. Let's let's kind of um get into that then. So okay, you speak German your German's good. Uh what about other languages? I speak French mm-hmm. and I've worked in France quite a lot with the tour guiding stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and I also I'm learning Chinese uh, because of my wife. And that's uh, that's quite urgent because all her family um, only speak Chinese. I've been to China twice in the last couple of years, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun learning Chinese. I mean, it's not something I would ever have done voluntarily, mm. uh, but it's um, it's a very interesting language, a very rich culture, uh, and it's a fabulous mix learning Chinese of the simplest, easiest language you've ever learned and the most complex writing system you could possibly imagine. Uh, so it's this constant sense of, oh, my God, I can't believe that's so easy. And uh, uh, what is that? Is that the symbol for head or is it the symbol for big? I don't understand. <laughs> tell, me, tell me about the simple thing because um, people usually, when they talk about learning Chinese they say, oh, it's pretty complicated, difficult, isn't it, learning Chinese? So what's the, in what ways is it incredibly simple then? Well, because um, there's there's no conjugation on the verbs, right? So there's only one verb form for mm. everything. Mm. Um, it's it, Fran- French I've always found extraordinarily tricky, all the different verb forms yeah. and the, you know, the, the irregularity of all the verbs. But yeah. Chinese, very easy, very easy to say when you did something or, or, or or are going to do something how um, how, how sorry you know, how does that work then because obviously in english uh, you, well you, you could just yeah. you could just you, you you just literally say you put like la on the end of a sentence in chinese and it means you did it brilliant so, so yeah so it's like saying in english so i eat past yeah that's it that's pretty much it that's and you can do the same with various markers for the for the future uh, one thing which is a bit tricky is measurement words. So, like, you could say, um, you know, in English, we've got a pair of shoes, right? Mm. A pair of shoes, pair of gloves. Um, you know, two things as a pair. But imagine if you always had a different word for a number of things or a single thing, dependent on what the thing was. <sighs> so, Igorian, uh, 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 which is a person... But itoju, which is a pig, so the word for an is different uh, in 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 those cases, depending on what the what the noun is. So there, there's a lot of those. There there's are, a lot of different. Uh, there are many yeah. different articles depending on the type of thing you're talking about. It's not just a an and the like in English, 
or not even just yes. le and la, like in French, masculine and feminine, but there are even more articles that change depending on the, the noun. The articles don't have a gender, like in many European languages, but they, they just have a different article. They just have a different type of article depending on on what it is so all all animals have like one and then like a couple of animals have a different one <laughs> the most common the most the most common one is g like most most of the time like like almost all of the time g is like an but then for a lot of the most common words there is a, an exception um and that's one of those things which it does take a. It's going to take a while to learn. I should em emphasize my Chinese is pretty basic, but it's also because I live with a Chinese person and speak Chinese a lot, and because I am a linguist, uh, I have I have picked up an enormous amount of very bizarre phrases. Uh, like you know, what? Like what? Whew, what's what's a, a weird thing I can say in Chinese? This is something your wife uh, says. To, to chien, to chien, ni hao to, to chien, which is hello tugboat. Uh, you, you know, I can say, well, I've got all this weird vocabulary, you know? <laughs> yeah, I just all this weird vocabulary and then completely, completely useless. My wife and I had a little fun thing where she pretended to be a waiter the other day and we did a, we did a little 15-minute improvised m meal ordering. I'm not sure it should have taken 15 minutes, <laughs> but I had to, I had to make myself understood. Um, and that was really fun. So it's just like, I honestly believe that if you, if you are, if you are married to someone with a language, it really doesn't matter what the language is. If you want to pick it up, you're going to, you're, you're going to, you're going to pick up, you know, quite a bit. Yes. But the other thing about Chinese is it's hilariously literal. Mm. I mean, the, the, the thing, the thing is, is, it's just this incredibly blunt way of saying for it. So I think it's like, uh, um, ying is owl. Okay. Mao ying is what, which means owl, you know, the animal, the, yeah. the owl, yeah. uh, which means cat head eagle. Whoa. Cat head eagle. That's brilliant. Cat head eagle. Or I can't quite remember the actual word. Well, mi minion you know that the the, uh, the minions, the uh, small yellow uh, creatures, cartoon creatures. Yeah. Shao Shao Huan Yun, little yellow man. <laughs> very simple, very very straightforward. Yeah, very literal. It's incredibly straightforward, and and Chinese people are like this. They're just incredibly blunt, straightforward. Know where you are. You know, insult is humorous. It's it's yeah. it's really quite kind of re refreshing uh, because I've I, I've never I, I was kind of re, you know what do they call it reprogramming so to grow up in England and everything's like sorry for no reason and all this kind of stuff when I moved to Germany uh, which is a pretty blunt place by and large mm. uh, there is there is politeness there uh, but but it's more formality than politeness um, and then back to England. Uh, six years ago so everyone's polite again and i've kind of been reprogrammed by the germans to actually say what i want <laughs> and think about things and now i've married a chinese person who takes german bluntness to a you know to a new kind of level um and it's yeah it's it, it feels it feels quite good it feels quite good to be back in the world of plain speaking you know yeah yeah Totally. So tell me about going to um, going to Germany. Is that the first place that you lived abroad or not? Yeah, that's the only place I've really lived abroad. What, yeah. what made you go to Germany then? Oh, I was learning German. You know, I just really wanted to learn the language. Um, I, I just, I liked the German language. I still like it a lot. Uh, and yeah, just Berlin, being young, you know, in a cheap city. And then I was performing a lot and making a lot of friends. So I wound up staying in Berlin um, and in Freiburg in south um, west Germany for just about 10 years uh, before I came back. How old were you when you went there? 21. And what did you do at university? I did English. Oh, really? So, yeah. okay, where did you go? I went to Oxford. Oh, really? Wow, fantastic. We, uh, St. Catharines. Uh, is that where you went? No, my dad, actually. Okay. He he studied right. he studied uh, English at St Catharines in Oxford. 
Well, I've walked past St. Catherine's. It wasn't too far from where I was, which was at Mansfield College, which is the smallest of, of all the Oxford colleges, very small uh, student population, about 170 people or something like that. Yeah. Wow. What was it like going to Oxford? It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint any of your listeners who might have a... Because it is pretty. Like, don't get me wrong. I've been back a few times and it is a, a pretty little town. Um, my advice for anybody who wants the best of Oxford is to go there about 6 a.m. in the morning on a sunny day and just walk around the beautiful buildings and then leave before everybody gets up. <laughs> so what, why, what, why was it so awful then? Well, it was awful because we were all awful. We were all ob- obnoxious brats. Uh, and I was particularly bad and full of myself. Uh, but I just, I just didn't get on with... I didn't get on with the student culture and I think um, I think I was lucky or unlucky depending on how you look at it that I went to a sixth form college in Nottingham which is where I'm from mm. uh, called Bilbrough College and I was going to really really good nightclubs and I was really into music and I had lots of friends and you know it was it was good it was a good life uh, and that's still one of the happiest times of my life when I was like 17 and 18 and just really getting into music and and you know, girls, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Oxford, and um, this is statistical. I hope it's not too racy for your oh, no. uh, podcast. But I, I read that a third of Oxford, so, so two-thirds of Oxford students when they arrive are virgins, and a third of them are virgins when they leave. <laughs> um, and this is a lot of the time is people who have no experience of, like, mixed-sex environments. And they've got, you know, their idea of, seducing the opposite sex is to drink a gallon of lager in their presence uh and then cry in front of them uh and so i kind of came in like oh yeah i'm this i'm this uppity provincial i'm into music i'm incredibly arrogant and then there's no good clubs in oxford you know the food's not great it's a very small place and uh yeah i just really didn't i really didn't get on with it and any kind of like arrogance i had didn't didn't serve me well um yeah i just really burnt out with it i did eventually limp through to finishing my degree i took a year out in the middle Mm. went to berlin just fell in love with berlin which was obviously all the things i'm talking to you about i really like yeah um you know music going out lots of performance and uh yeah i was kind of over it by the time i finished but a lot, like I say, I mean, it's all it's all growth as an individual. I mean, a lot a lot of the problems of it was me and how I was looking at it and how I was not, you know, studying as uh, probably at all. <laughs> uh, but the worst thing about that was I still was I still did quite academically well, uh, which is obviously pretty fatal if you're not studying and then. That resolved itself by the end <laughs> in terms of academic success without the work. They did They did cotton on to that at the end. You, um, yeah. I, yeah. You, you did well despite yeah. not, not really studying. Yeah, I did. I did. I completely aced my first year exams, wow. um, which, was, which was great. Um, but obviously, probably not, probably not good in the long run. Um, yeah, of- it was. It was. It's something I've spe- spent a lot of time afterwards, kind of trying to trying to make something positive of, because it's quite difficult when when you have a really foundational time of your life which goes completely wrong, basically. Hmm. Um, and uh, and I I kind of have managed to to come to peace with it, but coming to peace with it hasn't made me feel like well actually it was all right really uh it was it was more like yeah it's kind of messed that up was part of the problem the fact that maybe you didn't fit in with the people who were there because um a lot of people who go to oxford i don't know actually what the proportion of sort of public school type people is to let's say you know normal comprehensive school type people did you go to comprehensive school or a, or a private school? yeah i did I, I went to i went to a pretty i went to a pretty rough comprehensive yeah um and you know there were a couple of people from my comprehensive school who went to oxford i know i think there's one at least maybe mm. maybe a couple more um but yeah i, I mean that 
the main reason that was a problem was because I was just incredibly left wing when I was Oxford. And uh, if you've read my Twitter feed now, uh, quite a lot of it is me <laughs> arguing with people who are now incredibly left wing. Um, but it's it was definitely the case that I was really, really committed to kind of socialist politics and left wing politics. And one of the reasons I was so committed was because I did feel. Well, I did feel that I didn't just want to be kind of swallowed up by this kind of like establishment is fine because that's that's what a lot of people go to Oxford for. They sort out their contacts and they move on to some kind of, you know, uh, position which is relatively, you know, comfortable for them and then they move through life. So I wasn't I wasn't quite ready to give up on being radical at the age of uh, of 19 or 20, you know, and I probably went to the to the other extreme. What kind of people did you come across at Oxford? Come across really nice people, mm. um, but I came across. I mean, I did. I did come across a lot of very, very privileged people. I think the thing which bonded the people I was hanging out with together was mental illness. <laughs> 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 so that that was my that was my crowd. Uh, and I've come to the conclusion that that's not a good crowd to, to hang out with. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. oh, oh, yeah. uh, shall I ask what kind of mental illness? How did this men- yeah, mental Yeah, I think illness- we're all incredibly depressed. And right. uh, eating disorders, you know, uh, depression. Uh, it was it was not a happy little bunch okay. um, that I was hanging out with at that time. Sure. Sh- um, so yeah. any, anyway, Oxford English, and then you you during the degree you took a year out, went to Berlin, and had you already? I mean, did you already speak some German at the time, or was that? Yeah, was, it, was, yeah. it was it was it was pretty bad. Okay, yeah, it's pretty bad. So you spent a yeah. year in Berlin there, and I guess you improved your German during that year, and then at the age of twenty one, sort of postgraduate, you thought, oh, what we're going to do? I'll go back to Berlin because it's brilliant, right? I think it was. A, I think I was. Yeah, yeah, I think I was 23 when I moved to Berlin permanently. Okay. So it was, it was 21 was the year in because I'm quite old for my year, my September birthday. Mm. And then and then back to Oxford to finish off the degree. Uh and then 23 just after I finished my final exams, I was out to Oxford. And I did my TEFL qualification. That was the first thing I did in Berlin. Uh which is a connection to to, to teach in English and that was the first thing I started off doing in um yeah that would have been in 2005 so the autumn of 2005 okay tell me about tell me about your German then so you went with I guess sort of intermediate or lower than that uh, basically lower intermediate lower intermediate I did take an exam called the Certificat Deutsch which was just when I arrived there so that was like a, a lower intermediate certificate but yeah I mean it, it it it's very easy in berlin I, i'm not sure what it's like in paris but it was it's very easy to float around in a kind of expat speaking english thing mm, yeah and i think berlin's now got really really extreme in that direction like you know you go into a shop in berlin now and order in german and just they don't know german so, <laughs> so uh <laughs> it's just a very strange um uh, thing but there's, there is tradition for that actually because berlin used to be very french speaking in the in the 18th and 19th century so I, I find that quite interesting about berlin that it's always it's always understood its cosmopolitanism to be to be adopting another language and and speaking it the most famous prussian king uh, friedrich de grosse friedrich the great mm. uh, didn't didn't speak german or uh, in fairness if he did speak he said it was only fit to be spoken with his horse so <laughs> um yeah so it was, but but then it was just a really conscious decision, and Berlin wasn't quite as expatty back then as it is now. But I was going to hang out with a load of Germans, and I was going to learn really good German. And if somebody wanted to speak English with me, I was going to tell them that I was learning. And it took a while, but it started to get um, really good over the next few years. But what kind of did the the trick for it was a few years later, in about two thousand and eight, when I moved to Freiburg, which is the largest city in the Black Forest. And uh, I had a, a nice, if uh, very expensive, couple of years down there. I was supposed to be studying, but I dropped out of the program I was studying. Uh, 
Uh, and then, but I was just in a German speaking environment uh, all the time then. And uh, that was when I became incredibly fluent. I think if, so, if, I think if you're learning a language, English is a bit of an exception in the UK because by and large, apart from minority communities, uh, nobody really speaks a second language in the UK. Um, so you can go pretty much everywhere in the UK and you have to learn English. But certainly for languages other than English, with English being the kind of de facto lingua franca, I think you'll have better luck if you move outside of big cities. I don't know if that's your experience in Paris, but my experience working in France is that if I in Normandy, I'm just in French all the time. Mm. And in Paris is where I might meet somebody who, you know, wants to practice English or switch to English or whatever. Well, I have lots of excuses about my French, but one of them is that, yeah, I'll, I'll start speaking French to someone and they just speak back to me in English with an American accent normally. Um, it's one of the things. Yeah, a lot of, lot of people speak English here. Um, but let's talk, let's talk about your German. So what, you're, you're advanced or proficient? What's your level now then? If you're translating oh, Well, I mean, plays, I mean, I, no, I can translate, I can translate into German now as well. I mean, I would, it's, it's almost native level. Okay, that's, that's amazing. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it took a long time, but I mean, I was very dedicated to it. I mean, the, 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 there, there has been like formal education now. It wasn't just me in my bedroom. I have a, I have an MA in interpreting now for French and German, but German is my strongest suit. And with interpreting for German, I work both ways. So I can actually work into German and I enjoy yeah. doing that as well. So let, let's, let's, I want to really focus on sort of specific things that you've done to get your German or, and your French up to the level mm. that they're at now. Sure. So we've got, you know, reading, listening. To start with reading, do you, I mean, you must, if anyone who's got their language up to that level must have done plenty of reading, but talk to me about reading in German or French then. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I am a reader. So uh, the idea of, I think if for some people, the idea of like reading for pleasure is alien, but there, there is a lot of stuff I like to read. Uh, so, I mean, I think the number one first thing is to is to is to read stuff which interests you. What I did in those first years, which is exactly the time I'm talking about, 2005, mm. is that I would read a book in German, and when I'd finished, I would write out every single word I didn't know in the book, and I would color code it for the three genders. Uh, dirty and das. Wait a minute. So, so I would so yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So you'd yeah. you'd you'd read the book, and when you'd finished, you'd go yeah. back through it again and highlight yeah. highlight the words. Uh, I, I had a separate vocabulary little book. Called, it was actually a, a a ring binder with um. Uh, <laughs> there was about about a third about um a third of it was dare and about um, a third of it was D, and then there was a little bit at the end for Das, because fun fact for your listeners, there's actually less words which are Das neutral in German than there are the other two genders. Uh-huh. It's a smaller percentage of the words. Right. Most of them are Der or D. Okay. So, uh, so I would write the word in the, re- in the relevant gender. Okay, so I was associating it with the gender, because one of the big problems people have learning German is they don't learn the genders properly. Mm. And because German is a case-based language where you change the genders uh, depending on what you're doing to the word in question, uh, you need to learn the genders to 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 use the language, uh, you know, in a in a f- flowing or at least in a in a sophisticated way. Yeah. Um, so that was that, and then I'd write to give myself a little sense of achievement. I would write the number of the book. So by the time I'd read fifty books and done that, my German was pretty good. But it's just uh, nouns. Uh, I, You're yeah. just doing. You just listed the nouns. What about all the other parts of speech, like verbs and yeah, adjectives yeah. and stuff? I had a separate. I had a separate book for verbs. <laughs> <laughs> I had a separate book for verbs, and I was. I, I there was. To be honest, what happened with the verbs is I did A, and I got so bored <laughs> of, of doing because because German verbs have have um, it's also because there's a lot of verbs beginning with A in German because they have these things which are called separable verbs, right? Right. Where, whereas you you can add uh, some of the prepositions in German's case, ab, aus, an. Okay, to a mm. verb, and uh, and uh, it will change the meaning of the verb. So 
can, can I, is this too geeky to no, give no, you an no, example no. of this? Go, go for okay. it. Okay, all right. So, right, Zayn is to look. Uh, aus Zayn is like your appearance, how, how your appearance looks, okay. literally your look out. Um, so, uh, du siehst, you see, du siehst gut aus, you look good. Um, so, uh, I was filling up a, a, a book with these verbs with uh, an, ab, aus, all these prepositions. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to remember them <laughs> uh, because it was just, it was just too many. It may have been that A is just a bad letter in German. Yeah. Uh, but I was, I, I was, I was writing down the verbs when I, when I didn't, um, when I didn't know them as well. And obviously prepositions and stuff. Um, yeah. So, but I think that's quite, uh, the reading question is quite a good way of thinking about it because, you know, you've probably, okay, maybe you're not a reader, but a lot of people have read 50 books in mm. their life. Mm. I mean, if I say to you now, okay, it's going to take you 50 books to understand a new language. It, it, I appreciate German's quite closely related to English, but it doesn't sound impossible, does it? No. Well, I mean, it depends. Again, I know some people who, for, for them, that does sound impossible because they, they never read. I know I've got, listener, sure. I've got listeners who just don't read. And so... I know for them, sure, 50 books sure. seems like a, a bridge too far, a book, uh, 50 books too far. Yeah. I mean, okay. I think it depends a lot on what the image of reading 50 books, <laughs> Some, someone's yeah. up to you. Uh, but for me, uh, as a reader and as, and obviously reading these books, is not like reading a normal book because you're stopping every couple of seconds really at the beginning to look up a word. But by the time you're on your 10th book or 15th book, you're recognizing more and more of the words. And by the time you're on your 50th book, you're no longer looking up every, you're looking up words every while. And the other nice thing is you start to be able to tell what words mean because you know everything else in the sentence. Yeah, it gets exponent, exponentially easier. So the first sure. book is really difficult, but the, the, the last book is easier because you've got 49 books worth of German exactly. to help you. Uh, which books, though? Which which books were you reading? Oh, there's some stuff. Crikey. Um, well, it wasn't... It was just kind of what I was getting my hands on in... Often in, like, second-hand stores. So it would have probably been a, a really weird mix of books. But I read things like... Yeah, I just read... I just read literature, really. I read I read stories. Mm. I, liked, I liked a guy called Arthur Schnitzler a lot, who wrote something called the Traum Novella, which means the dream novel. Um, the most famous uh, iteration of that is it was made into a film by Stanley Kubrick called Eyes Wide Shut, his uh -huh. last film. But the basis of that is this. And I, I just love that. It, and also, a lot of these books were quite short because Germans do these lovely editions called Reclam, which are little yellow books, and they're quite cheap, and they sell a lot of the classical German literature Um in 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 that and then this is another nice little story about all this is that there was a there's a book by called um peter kamerts and oh sign i'm not entirely sure how you say it by herman hesse who mm -hmm. you might have heard of um you know he he he's one of the more famous german authors in english and there's the first paragraph is just this mad like descriptive paragraph about how the earth was created and I would read that paragraph again and again. I never read the book. I still never have read it. Mm. But every time I came back to the paragraph, I would understand a little bit more of it as these 50 books went on. Um, so, yeah, there was a nice little direct way of tracking how much progress. <laughs> I, I, to give you an idea about how fanatical I was about this, I used to teach English um, in uh, – uh, a rather kind of industrial area quite north of berlin it was about an hour's train ride which i used to spend reading these books as well hmm. and i then would often stop on the way back in a sort of vaguely empty italian restaurant uh, which was near to the train station and <laughs> one time i was there with my little vocabulary book writing all this stuff up, and a waiter came up to me and said i'm worried about you you're working too hard <laughs> In Germany as well. Yeah. It's not like well, in, yeah, in France. Yeah, you can imagine people saying that, you know. But uh, <laughs> not so much in Germany. Yeah, well, yeah. But I think, I don't, I'm not sure he was German. 
I think he was. I think he was Italian, but you oh, know, oh, I yeah. playing the national stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it must have been hard. Your first book must have been pretty tough, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was, and uh, and then of course I went through exactly the same uh, procedure with French. Yeah, uh, ma- many years later, uh, but with Fran- French, I was I was just now because don't forget, like I was when I'm talking to you about all this. Um, I'm early twenties. Uh, you know, I can I can go out and I'm not tired and I've got loads of energy. Mm. But by the time I was getting as fanatical about French as I was, I was a lot um, older and busier. Mm. Uh, so so I was a bit less. I don't know what that word I, in French was a bit more. I don't know what that word means, but I I just want to read this thing and kind of I'll work it out. Yeah. yeah. But but with French, there were certain authors who I already read in english so that was a bit of a different experience so i was reading stuff that i'd already read like you know camus and mm-hmm. d- definitely may probably mainly camus well back people I'd, i think i've read some well back in english i'm not sure but there was there was a lot of stuff i found quite quickly in french which was relatively easy to read the other big guy so i've got to go back a bit the other big guy who i was hugely into when i was first learning german was kafka yeah i mean K- kafka was was a life changing thing and i'd already read kafka in english but um the the great thing with kafka is he has a very simple style just like Camus, very simple style in french Mm. so i think i think it's very interesting that there are certain writers if you're into writers and reading who are going to be like your gateways into other languages and it's not because they're not complex interesting writers it's because they it's just because they had a simple style what about um speaking then how did you how did yeah. you improve your speaking to the level it's at now? That was probably that was probably harder, um, just because you know you have to make friends and mm. I mean I was I I, I was I, I just would have these bizarre social encounters in the I, I literally knew anybody. I remember this guy from who worked in the Indian embassy invited me to the launch of like a an Indian biscuit <laughs> in Germany. That was that was the kind of thing I was doing, and like I turned up at this. They were trying to break the German market with this like Indian biscuit, okay. and I and I was so lonely because I just didn't know anyone, and I just kind of sat there. And this guy, these guys made this presentation about this biscuit, and uh, <laughs> it was you know that I I just didn't know many people to talk with, and the other people I did know were the people in my like language classes and things like that, who obviously were, were mainly expats as well. But you know, over time, I met people. I mean, I think the, I think the really important thing was just to ask people and say that I was learning and to be a bit patient with me, because what I saw happen to a lot of people who were also, you know, expats. To be frank, and mm-hmm. I was hanging around with a lot of expats, was they'd realised that they didn't need to learn German. I mean, they they could just do their little while and then and then kind of get by with English. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they kind of just took that option. So they got stuck at that point. And I, I kind of realized that I was going to have to kind of design myself a little German speaking world, uh, uh, you know, made up of people who I trusted and, and who I got on with. Uh, and it took a bit of time. It took a bit of time to, de- um, to design that the other thing was i was obviously doing all the bureaucracy of normal everyday life in german so you know setting up a phone line the internet um the tax office all this kind of stuff so everything incredibly boring and unpleasant in my life was being done in german uh including and this is i was very young i was learning to cook a lot at that time because i was typical useless young man um but that means that still to this day i think about food it's almost entirely in German or cooking because I just, because I just learn all the, I just learn all the recipes I learned, which have got me through my adult life uh, in German. So yeah, so it was a really, it was a really, really interesting time. Um, And uh, it's quite, I mean, you'll know this as, as an English guy, it's quite rare for an English person. I mean, I am half Welsh uh, (laughs) and, and, you know, I feel, I've, I've always felt a bit different uh, but 
it's quite rare for English people to kind of deliberately make that decision. Like I'm, I'm going to go away from my native language for a while. Yeah. Why? Uh, why do you think that is? I, I think it was because I had such a terrible experience at Oxford. But why, but why do you think English people uh, don't learn languages? Okay. Uh, why do I think, well, because I think, I think we, we really shouldn't make it too complicated. It's because they don't need to. Mm. I mean, uh, I, I don't, I don't think we should have a go at English for English people for doing that because, you know, time is short and English is the world language. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have a, I'm not gonna have a go at English people for investing relatively scarce educational time. But there's a different cultural myth, which is that English people somehow can't. Mm. And that we're somehow incapable of. Well, you know, being Welsh again, I have a bit of an insight into that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there is no, there is no reason why people uh, born on the uh, on the British Isles cannot, uh, you know, somehow genetically <laughs> absorb another language if if there is the necessity of doing it. And the other thing which was nice was obviously I met quite a few English speaking people who had learned another language, uh, including some in my own. My own family. My own family are, luckily enough, relatively multilingual lot. Uh, so my uncle and aunt run a translation agency, and my mum speaks fluent French. So I had a, I had a good few positive examples. But the, but the thing I was trying to talk about on Twitter recently, and I'd like to write and talk a bit about this, is I think we've got such a horrible culture of low expectations around it, mm. uh, and I, I do, I do wish we'd at least get away from that. Because it's a very different argument to say, well, you know, I'm busy and it's not essential to I'm afraid I am somehow genetically incapable of doing this because I was born a native English speaker. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for you, you were saying that the reason why you made the decision to go outside of English and learn another language is because you had this experience in Oxford and it kind of pushed you, pushed you away or yeah. something. Yeah, it felt like I kind of felt very isolated or estranged from because you've got to remember, like Oxford is the is supposed to be the best. It's supposed to be your your golden ticket. Yeah. So if you kind of if you're going to go there and you're like, actually, I'm, I'm really not having a good time here, and I don't I don't want this, mm. then the chance to kind of look through another culture. I mean, I don't want to overestimate it uh, because you know German culture is quite similar to British culture in a lot of ways. It's founded around beer and football, <laughs> and you know, uh, it's sport. The Germans are insanely competitive; like they are insanely competitive yeah. people. Yeah. Um, but but it, it was an enormous culture shock. But it is different, and it is a different language, and it is a different history. Um, so it was very stimulating. And and what it's really done, German, for me, is it's a foundational stone on what has become a life which is very open to the world, very 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 multicultural. You know, I feel I I I, I absolutely adore having married into a you know into a non-Western family and having that influence in my life and having this foundational experience of living abroad and working abroad, um, you know, really, really set me up to do that. So it's been, it's been a big, a big plus, to be honest, it's been the best thing of my life, this seam of kind of multiculturalism and, and, and openness, uh, which has been, which was set up by that decision in my early twenties to, uh, work so hard it frightened italian waiters <laughs> <laughs> i won't ask you about brexit because it's just another story for another time but instead i still want to talk about the language learning thing i could talk to you i could ask you more specific questions about things like pronunciation things like how maybe you uh, there must have been times when you felt like your identity you know you had to make a decision about your identity when learning another language and uh, various barriers, psychological barriers, and things like that. And I could ask you about listening and um, various other aspects of learning German. But I think actually, that the one factor that kind of pushes you through all of those things is just your desire to learn German or French. It's the motivation, isn't it? That's That's been the key thing that's actually allowed you to get to where you are. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with that statement uh, 100%. Yeah, I do. I really agree. Are there any particular techniques? So as uh, first of all, you've got to really want it. That's the main thing. But are there any particular 
techniques. You talked about your, your, your books, you know, reading and, and making lists of the words and stuff. Any other little techniques and things that you've noticed have been useful? Yeah, there's lots. If I can just go mm. back a little bit, the really want it thing. Yeah. Um, just before we get to this, one of the most frequent things is, particularly for English speakers, is what language should I learn? And and that question is answered by the motivation question. So learn the one you really want to want. You really want to learn. Mm. If you really like Spanish, if you really like Chinese, if you if if you know, ju- just learn learn the one you like because the desire, as you say, will carry you through. Um, to get it to get it down to a kind of smaller level, I found I found asking people to repeat themselves was incredibly useful. Uh, uh, in German, there's the phrase "wie bitte," which is a bit like kind of "come again" yeah. in English. And if I ju- just like you know, just you hadn't quite got something, asking people to repeat it in English, in English uh, yeah. it would be like, "Yeah, sorry, come again," or "Sorry, what was that?" Come again. Yeah, I mean, people just—I think there might be a slight. You know, native speakers, when we're having a chat, we do occasionally miss what the other person has said and mm. need it clarifying. So it's not this huge badge of shame to kind of just need somebody to slow down a bit and repeat it again. Yeah. Sorry, no, what's that? I didn't quite, it didn't quite catch that. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? Yeah. I didn't catch that. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So maybe, 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 um, you know, liven things up by learning several phrases where you could say that uh, uh, just to just to make it a bit more interesting for yourself. So yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely one. Um, listening is obviously fantastic i mean just having the radio on just listening 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 what what have you Um, what have you listened to in german and french anything well i mean i still listen to french radio every i listen to french radio every day yeah um i mean what in as an interpreter training i mean we listen we listen all the time um i mean it's such a holistic process you know, mm. um, it's such it's such a it's it's a language. It's it's every aspect of life. So it's listening, it's reading, it's 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 com- it's conversation. Um, the first time I did went through this process of German, like I say, I was pretty fanatical about it and pretty harsh on it. Um, but I did also prove to myself through doing all that and through being so severe uh, that I could do it. So I am constantly engaged in the business of language learning i work on my chinese every day i listen to french every day i work on german translation i have tried to create in my life a a multilingual environment um and um now as i as i move into like you know nearly 17 years of doing this stuff it's much more organic and it's much more don't worry it'll come with time just think about think about last year. Think about how you, where you were last year. You're better than that. So so it's like the mental process is like I never concentrate on how much I haven't learned. I congratulate myself for how far I've already come. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. And, yeah, and I think that's like a, a an organic mentality which has grown about by the fact that I'm very confident that I can learn a language i must say that i found the hardest part of learning a language and this is also related to the fact that quite a few people speak english um is accent and the 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 acceptance that you will not entirely lose your accent unless you are very very lucky and probably started pretty young uh, you are likely to always retain a slight accent in your foreign language. Um, there was a time when that really bothered me. Um, and I did attend like um, pronunciation training where I sat around with a load of other people who also couldn't pronounce the language <laughs> <laughs> properly. I have to say I didn't find that incredibly useful. It was uh, quite amusing. Yeah. Um, but... I think you also need to be realistic about 
you can definitely improve your pronunciation and some languages you will be able to pronounce things better than others some languages the pronunciation is just simpler you know yeah. uh, or, or, or easier to get from whatever your native tongue is but just don't be too hard on yourself if you've if you've got a slight accent P- particularly if people can understand you and you can participate because that's still still pretty darn good i think absolutely tell me about chinese you're saying you work on your chinese every day specifically what 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 have you what are you doing every day then specifically in chinese well i suppose another little tip i would say because i've tried that if if you really want to make quick progress in a language hire a private tutor Mm -hmm. i mean i suppose in my case i married one uh but but I use an app called Fluent U, which is very good. I'm giving them free advertising. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, hope they, I hope they give me. I hope they give me a free subscription for a year. Uh, and it is a paying app. But what it basically does is there is a course on there, and you watch a short video. Yeah. And then you then you kind of answer um, uh, questions about the video, about what you've seen, about the vocabulary, and it's a, it's a good, well designed app. The nice, the difficult thing about Chinese is obviously the writing, and it does let you work on the on the writing as well. But it, it's more um, like recognizing the writing uh, mm-hmm. than it is, um, you know, using the writing actively, yeah. which is fine for me because I'm not actually looking to write; I'm just looking to recognize what the symbols mean. Yeah, I mean, I could talk to you more, but I think probably that's a, that's almost exactly an hour. And I think that all the stuff you said about learning language has been fascinating. Um, I think we'll probably leave it here. How how can people find you, find your work, if they want to kind of read some of your scripts uh, or maybe follow you um, and stuff like that? Well, the best way the best way is for your listeners to give me large uh, donations of money and <laughs> uh, en- enabling me to produce these darn scripts. But uh, I am on very very active on Twitter. My handle is at James Harris now. Uh, I do most of my business uh, via Twitter. And then you can see uh, on Twitter links to my blog. And also I put up links to stuff I publish and, and write about. And uh, yeah, I also am, I'm quite keen on Twitter to kind of interact with people and, and kind of have conversations with people. Uh, so I'm, I'm always very grateful for people who find me who find me there. People can buy you a coffee as well can't they if they want to yes they can they can and i i mean obviously a pot of coffee a day as we've established it does require some funding yeah so uh yeah ko-fi.com ko-fi.com james 1982 and uh people if they want to they can just send you three quid for for some coffee uh, to keep you to keep you going to provide you with a bit of uh, fuel to keep writing and working and all that stuff um, really cool James thank you so much for talking to us on the podcast it's been really interesting yeah it's been a total pleasure thanks for inviting me yeah pleasure and yeah. Uh, well, good luck with the screenplays and the Chinese and uh, yeah speak to you again sometime maybe yeah and love love to Paris yeah Yes, I will. Take care. Yes. Okay. You too. Have a nice time uh, in London the weekend if if you're allowed to. Cheerio. Okay. Bye bye. So thank you to James for being on the podcast today. Um, Look him up online to read some of his stuff. Follow him on social media and help him out by keeping him fueled up on coffee. So you can follow James on Twitter at James Harris now. His blog, where you well, I guess it's just his website where you can find samples of his writing and things like little mini screenplays. You can go to shoeleatherexpress.org, shoeleatherexpress.org, and you can buy a coffee for James Harris by visiting his page on Kofi, which is oh, let me just check. That would be. That's ko-fi.com, and then you can search for James Harris. Or just follow the link that you'll find on the page for this episode. So there you go. That was a conversation with James. Um, I think there were some kind of interesting insights about how he really sort of grasped uh, the learning of German and French, and that particular sort of technique of writing down so many words and really cramming in that way. It seemed to really work. It obviously paid off because his German is excellent 
Um, so there you go. An interesting episode, I think, and very nice to talk to James again uh, for the second time there. So how are you, listeners? How are you doing? How's your English journey? Where are you? What's going on? Um, are you are you still living in lockdown over there at the moment? What's the situation? Is your country kind of coming out of, of that now? Or is maybe the dreaded coronavirus going to come back? We don't know. It's an interesting period, isn't it, this? As we enter in Europe, in France, we enter the summer where things tend to sort of chill out a little bit. There's a lot of busyness in July. And then in August, everything's dead and closed and everyone's just on holiday. And then in September, you start again. And that's when everything kind of... Um, comes to life again and it's going to be interesting to see where we are in september but what's going on where you are um i wonder what your surroundings are as you listen to this are you a student have you finished your studies for the year are you kind of relaxing now in that wonderful period that you have when you're a student which is when you've done your exams and then you're sort of free aren't you it's just a wonderful feeling of being free but what can you do especially um especially when you know there are kind of certain measures in place to deal with the covid situation oh dear i don't know or maybe you're working maybe you're going back to work now and you're sort of you know traveling again and all that stuff maybe you're listening to the podcast while you travel or you could be stuck around at home i don't know you're doing the housework i don't know what you're doing but thank you for listening let me know in the comments section i'm always interested in hearing about the situations that you're in as you listen to this podcast. Okay, right, so um, I hope you've been enjoying recent content. It's been enjoyable and fun to make. You can expect more stuff coming soon, of course. But thank you for listening to this one, and I will speak to you again in the near future. But for now, it's time to say goodbye, bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 